Would you open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3? This will be our last uh, sermon in the book of Proverbs until the month of uh, July. So we'll take a break in the month of June for Missions Month. Next week we have the privilege of having one of our missions partners, Shige Nakasawa, who will be preaching from the book of Jonah. We'll return to Proverbs in July. One of the biggest obstacles that we face as believers is a lack of vision, a lack of sight. What do I mean by that? In Christ, we have an abundance of blessings. Amen? In Christ, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses. In Christ, we have been adopted as sons who have a rich, promised, eternal inheritance in front of us. In Christ, all of the riches of God's grace have been lavished upon us. But the problem is, we can't lay physical eyes on those treasures. They don't show up on our monthly bank statements that we receive. But the eyes of faith give us spiritual eyes to see what our physical eyes can't see. They give us a heavenly vision, God's line of sight into our lives. And this is my contention this morning. We need this vision. We need insight into these invisible riches of God's grace because when we don't have insight, it affects the way that we live. Specifically, it affects the way that we live among other people, our neighbors. When we lose sight of what we have in Christ, we begin to develop a scarcity mentality. A mentality that says, I don't have enough. I'm not safe. I'm not secure. And a scarcity mentality can lead to anxiety of various sorts. And in order to alleviate this anxiety, what we are prone to do is to adopt the world's vision, the world's line of sight as it applies to our lives. The world tells us, that to get ahead, you've got to get other people out of the way. If you want to have something, you need to take it, even if that means taking advantage of somebody else. But Jesus tells us to love God and to love our neighbor. This summarizes all of the law and the prophets. But here's the thing. This is what I'm driving at. When we lose sight of God's love for us, it's really hard to love God and to love our neighbor. When we lose sight of the blessings of the gospel, the law becomes really a burden. But if we maintain sight of what we have in Christ, it helps us to live right in relationship 
with others. That's what Proverbs 3 teaches us. This passage begins, you'll see this as we read it, through showing us all that we have. It's helping us to lay eyes on all that we have if we have wisdom. Then it moves on to teach us how to live in relationship with our neighbors. And I hope you'll see that there is a logical connection between the two. When we have God's insight about all that we have in Christ, it will help us to live right in relationship with others. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 13, all the way through the end of the chapter. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. By His knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor but fools get disgrace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Here's my sermon in a sentence. I've already said it, but let me repeat it. If we maintain sight of what we have in Christ, it will help us to live right in relationship with others. The first part of the passage, verses 13 to 26, help us to not lose sight of what we have in Christ. It provides three foundational truths. 
three words of insight. The second part, beginning in verse 27 through the end of the chapter, tell us how to live right in relationship with others and give us three negative commands. Let's get to work, working through these six things. Let's begin with insight, with all that we have in Christ. There are three things that we learn. The first is that getting wisdom gains us eternal life. Getting wisdom gains us eternal life so we don't have to grasp for worldly gain. This comes out in verses 13 to 18. These verses describe the person who is truly blessed, as we read there in verse 13 and in verse 18, or the person, you might say, who is truly happy. They are inviting, by description, they are inviting us to envision a different perspective from the world. Inviting us to pursue the good life that is found in God's Word as opposed to the life that is envisioned by the world. In verse 14, we are given the reason why. We read that gain from wisdom is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. The world says, in many ways, something like this. He with the most toys wins. Proverbs gives us a very different vision than this. What makes it different? What makes wisdom better than worldly wealth? Verse 16 spells it out. Verses 17 to 18 tell us what it means. Look at verse 16. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. I want to try and help you understand what's going on here. In the ancient world, that which was in the right hand was more valuable than that which was in the left hand. So what's happening here is a comparison is being made. If you go back and read ancient Egyptian wisdom literature, what you will find is that what is in the right hand is power and dominion, and what is in the left hand is long life. Here, we see that God's perspective, God's vision, is that long life is in the right hand, and riches and honor are in the left, showing us that long life is greater than worldly wealth and worldly honor. But, I don't want you to misunderstand what's going on here. Sure, a person that follows wisdom, generally speaking, may live longer than the person that lives like a fool. But the father, speaking to his son here, is not mainly talking about the quantity of one's life. He is talking about the quality of one's life. And the reason I know that is verses 17 to 18 define or expand upon what he means by having long life in your right hand. Look at verse 17. Her ways, the ways of wisdom, are ways of pleasantness. That's qualitative, not quantitative. And all her paths are peace. 
The word peace here is shalom. It speaks of living in right relationship with God, right relationship with other people, and living in right relationship to the created world that we live in. Shalom, in other words, is the quality of life that we were all meant to have in creation and the quality of life that we are to pursue if we are redeemed. The other reason I say that the Father has more than length of life in mind when He speaks of long life is what we read in verse 18. She, wisdom, is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The tree of life is a reference to what? It's a reference to the Garden of Eden. And if that is what is being referred here to here, then the long life that is in view is the eternal life that Adam and Eve were meant to have and that all of the redeemed will have. Those who listen to the words of wisdom laid out in God's Word, if they listen with the ears of faith, if they seek it with a heart to know God's Word, they will be led to the Word who took on flesh and laid down His life for us. Those who lay hold of the Word, Jesus, by faith, they come to know God. And what did Jesus say? This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Getting wisdom gives us eternal life. Do you see that? If that is true, then we don't have to grasp for worldly gain. Do you see that? Or have you lost sight of all that we have in Christ? Eternal life is greater than all of the treasure that this world has to offer. These Proverbs are teaching us something similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things, they will be added unto you. So life, eternal life, is the first thing we have in Christ. Let's look now at the second insight we see in this passage. Wielding wisdom works. Wielding wisdom, it works. So we don't have to use the world's ways. This is drawn out in two short but very important verses, verses 19 to 20. In verses 19 to 20, we see that it was by wisdom that the Lord founded the earth, and it's by wisdom that the Lord sustains the earth, even sending rain from the heavens. With a word, the Lord spoke creation into existence. And as Hebrews 1.3 tells us, Jesus upholds the universe even now. As we sit here under God's word, Jesus is upholding the entire universe by 
the word of power. God wields wisdom in His word out of His mouth in order to make and to maintain the world. Wisdom works in bringing the earth into being. Wisdom works in keeping the earth spinning. What is the implication? I hope you're getting it without me telling you. If wisdom is sufficient for God to create the universe and to sustain the universe to the very end, then surely God's Word, His wisdom, is sufficient for you in living your lives. You do not have to cling to the world's ways. Wisdom works. It leads to eternal life. It leads to abundant life. That's the second insight we gain from this passage. Third, keeping wisdom keeps us safe. Keeping wisdom keeps us safe so we don't have to be afraid. Let me show you where I get this. In verse 21, the Father speaks and says, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Then at the end of this section, in verse 26, it says, For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do you see? If you keep wisdom, God will keep you safe. Oh, the dangers, if I can use a pun, of losing sight of this truth. That in Christ, we are safe and secure. 1 Peter 1.4 tells us plainly that in Christ, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Jude 24 says, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, there's our word, and to present you before the presence of His glory with great joy, to present you blameless. He's able to do that. If we abide in Christ, who is the wisdom of God, we are kept from eternal harm and our eternal inheritance is being kept for us. We may encounter disease, disasters in this world, and should the Lord tarry, let me just be frank, we will encounter death. But if we're in Christ, we can have confidence in the face of all of these things. It should affect the way that we look at life. It should affect the way that we feel about the things going on in our lives. Look at verse 24. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. Why? Because as verse 26 says, the Lord will keep your foot from being caught. If we are in Christ, we have life for our soul. As verse 22 says, we're safe. 
Do you see it this way? I know it's hard when the world's throwing danger at us, but this is God's line of sight. Do you see it? Or has the vision of the world captivated your imagination? This is the vision the Bible lays out for believers. If we follow God's word of wisdom, it leads us to Christ. It leads us to eternal life. And in Christ, in this eternal life, we have great riches. Remember what Romans 8.32 says. I quote it all the time. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not together with him graciously give us all things? We have all we need. That's what we need to see. And if we keep wisdom, if we endure in the faith, then we also have blessed assurance. We are safe and secure from all alarm. We don't have to be anxious about our needs. We don't have to be afraid when difficulties arise. But this passage... All of these things that we've covered are not here simply to give us a vision of what we have in Christ. It's also here to give us insight so that we can live right in relationship with others. That's the aim of the passage. Knowing what we have in Christ helps us to love our neighbor as ourselves. So let's now turn to the second part of this passage in verses 27 to 35. Here we learn what it looks like to live right in relationship with others. And there are three ways to live right laid out here. They're not exhaustive, but they'll be enough for us to think about this week and in the weeks ahead. First, we don't have to withhold good from those in need. I just want to warn you, I'm getting ready to get in your business But it's not me. It's what this text says. Look at verses 27 to 28 again because they're really interesting. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. I used to think these verses were about paying your bills on time. I mean, I, re- I really did. Uh, if a bill collector calls to collect a debt and you have the money, you should go ahead and pay it right now. And I, I think that you should. But I don't think that that's what this verse is saying. This notion of being in somebody's debt or to pay something to somebody to whom it is due is in mind, but there's something really interesting happening here. Most scholars think that this verse seems to be saying, get this, that if someone is in need and you have the ability to meet that need, then you are basically in that person's debt. From God's perspective, you owe them. And you should go ahead and take care of the need now, today, 
not tomorrow. There are all kinds of qualifications that could be made. For example, Proverbs does not generally think very well of the person who won't work, the sluggard. They don't think very well of the leech. Paul concurs in 2 Thessalonians 3. He says if the person won't work, they won't eat. But in cases of genuine need, see, we always want to qualify everything to death, don't we? In cases of genuine need, if we have the ability to meet the need, we are called to respond. But what enables the generosity? And this is where the first part of the passage comes to bear on the second part of the passage. We don't have to withhold good from those who are in need because we have all that we need. And more than we need in Christ. And so if, we, if all that we have comes from God, the giver of all good things, is that true? And if we are rich in God's grace, secure in Christ, we don't need the world's wealth. If that is true, then we can and we should be generous to those in need. We can give to the poor in our midst. Kind of hard to do if you don't know anybody who's poor, though. We can give to fund the mission of the church. Kind of hard to do, though, if you're in debt up to your ears. Doesn't have to be limited to giving money. We can also give time and talent, but I think the main good in mind in this passage is our material goods. In fact, to go to the New Testament, one of the best indicators of spiritual health, let me repeat that. If you had a dashboard for your spiritual health, one of the indicator lights on that dashboard would have to do with your money. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Or as James says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that. So also, this is his conclusion, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. A prime indicator that we see the blessings that we have in Christ with the eyes of faith is our generosity. Do you see it? I guess I should qualify something I said earlier about your bank statement. Maybe your bank statement does say something about what you believe. Generosity is the first way insight helps us to live right. 
in relationship with others. The second is this. We don't have to take advantage of those who trust us. Look at verse 29 and 30 again. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. I think you would agree with me that it is always wrong to plan evil against anyone. Against your neighbor. But notice the emphasis in these verses. It says to not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. There is a relationship of trust that is in view in this passage. And so as I start to think, started to think about how these verses might apply to us in the church, I began to scratch my head and think, do we really plan evil against those who dwell trustingly beside us? And then I remembered something that I read in the news last week. And it hit me. In the report of the abuse scandal in the SBC, I thought of the victims of abuse at the hand of someone they should have been able to trust. A pastor. Pastors who took advantage of the flock instead of taking care of the flock. Friends, most abuse, sexual, physical, verbal, emotional, happens where there should be trust, but where that trust has been violated in families in schools, and yes, even in churches. God's Word does apply, doesn't it? But it even applies to less extreme cases. Think, for example, of an employee who steals from their employer. I know that there are many of you here that know what I'm talking about. Or think of an employer who takes advantage of their employees. These things can relate to time or to money. What about when a person gossips about a friend or a member in the church? They are planning evil against them so that they can bring them down in order to do what? Bring yourself up. What about when we lie? to get ahead. What about when we attack somebody, somebody who dwells trustingly beside us with our words? The vision of the world says if you want to get what you want, then you have to take it, even if that means taking advantage of other people. If you want to feel safe, then maybe you have to threaten the safety of somebody else. But if we're truly secure in Christ, then we don't have to take advantage of others. Friends, we don't have to seize security 
and safety and satisfaction because we already have it if we are in Christ. That's the second way of maintaining sight of what we have in Christ. How it helps us to live in right relationship with others. Finally, we don't have to envy the wicked. I've been talking about two ways of seeing our life in the world throughout this sermon. I've been contrasting two visions. Up until now, in the text anyhow, we've only seen one of those visions, the vision of the happy life, a vision of the life according to God's Word. But the reason I've been talking about this other vision is because it shows up in verse 31, and I think it casts a shadow on the rest of the passage. Look at verse 31. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. The man of violence, or the wicked, as verse 33 calls him, has a different vision than the one that has been laid out for us in the previous 30 verses. The violent man looks at the world as something to be taken by the throat. One of the reasons we're prone to lose sight of God's vision for our lives is because so many of the blessings that are ours in Christ, they're real, they're present, but they are accompanied by suffering. And many of the blessings involve delayed gratification. But the world's vision promises instant gratification if you will just take hold of it. And we are prone, let's just be honest. We say the right things with our mouth, but let's just be honest. How many of us are not tempted by the Joneses? We are prone to envy the prosperity of the wicked. We see the worldly man increasing in possessions and indulging his passions and pleasures. And we think, I just want a little piece of that pie. Just a little. Asaph almost fell into this trap. In one of the most familiar Psalms, Psalm 73, he says, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He goes on to say that his envy almost tripped him up and led him over the cliff. But then he eventually came to see things right. He goes on to say, when I thought of how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and I discerned their end. In the end, what helped him was a vision of the end. A vision of the end. In Proverbs 3, the father is helping his son to see the same thing. Look at verses 33 to 35. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked. That's their end but He blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners He is scornful, but to the humble He gives favor. 
Some translate that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. That's the end. The wise will inherit honor, not honor from man necessarily, but honor from God, God's favor, God's grace. The fool inherits disgrace. Like Johnny Cash said, if you'll indulge me, well, you may throw your rock and hide your hand, working in the dark against your fellow man. But as sure as God made black and white, what's done in the dark will be brought to the light. So you can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. The road of the fool may run on for a long time. And it may include temporary pleasures. But that road leads to eternal ruin. Whereas the road of the wise may include temporary pain. But that road leads to eternal rewards. What road are you on, friends? Have you placed your faith in Christ? Repented of your sins? He's the way, the truth, and the life. Are you on that road? If not, I invite you to get on that road today. And if you're on that road, what road do you want to be on? Do you secretly want to be on the other one? The person who has insight into all we have in Christ will see the way, all the way to the end. The right perspective is a long-term perspective. We need to see where the two roads lead. That long view of the future, friends, that sight is what we need to live faithfully in the presence. If you see what we have in Christ, it will help you to not be envious of what the violent have in the world. We may suffer now, but we can have joy now. Do you believe that? We may have to wait for our reward till later, but right now we have God's favor. We know the love of God. And that's what enables us to love our neighbor as ourself. The happy man will be able to say yes and amen to what Jesus said in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
pray with me. Father, this life is so much about seeing and hearing. Open our ears. Open our eyes. That we may behold Christ. That we may see Him as a treasure to be gained above all else. Help us to cling to Him by faith, but then also to be satisfied and happy in Him because of that faith. And then, may our hearts overflow from the love that You have lavished on us as Your children, overflow into love for our neighbor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.